Welcome to You Are Never The Only One, hosted by me, Kat Sims. Now, you may think you're special, that your worries, fuck-ups and fun times are unique only to you, that only you can get so many things wrong so much of the time. Well, I'm here to prove to you every Monday morning that, in the nicest possible way, you're not special or unique. You don't fuck up any more than the rest of us, and that even though it doesn't always feel like it, you are, in fact, never the only one. Welcome, welcome back to episode two of You're Never the Only One. You are all bloody superstars for giving it another shot. And thank you for all the support for the first episode. I cannot tell you how exciting it was to get it out there. I got some glorious emails and DMs. Um, Someone said, just listened to the podcast, commented and rated. It is brilliant, funny, thought-provoking and real. I mean, I can't ask for better than that. Someone else said, love the podcast so much. I was giving myself a hard time for not nailing last week, lost my shit at the kids a few times and also forgot about activities I should have known about and prepared for. It's such a relief to know I'm not the only one. See, this is what we're here for. There were so many of these messages, um, like literally hundreds, and it filled my heart with joy. But by far my favourite response was from someone who simply wrote, I didn't hate the podcast. So... Thanks for that. Listen, I'm here for that kind of honesty. So this is episode two and let me tell you it's going to be a good one. We're going to start off by enjoying your it could only happen to me moments. Thanks in advance to everybody who has written in. It is the highlight of my day checking the you're never the only one Gmail. And there have been some exceptional ones. I'm going to tell you about the single most embarrassing moment of my life post kids. Now as I say that I realise that this week something's happened that could top it. Maybe I'll tell you them both and then you can let me know. Uh, And we're going to discuss something I read about recently called Radical Honesty in an amazing book called Dopamine, Finding Balance in the Age of Indulgence by Dr. Anna Lemke. Now that is highbrow. I first heard about her on one of my favourite podcasts, which is Armchair Expert with Dax Shepard and Monica Padman. I'll link the episode that she's in in the show notes and actually I'll link the book as well because this idea of radical honesty that she talks about and the effects that it has had on my life have been transformational. We do, of course, as ever, have our agony aunt section and I'll spill the beans on all the fun times and fuck ups that I've got up to this week. So, shall we get on with it? Time for your it could only happen to me moments. So we're going to get straight into it because frankly, these are too good. I couldn't narrow it down to one and it's Monday morning and I want to get you laughing out loud as soon as possible. So here goes. Firstly, I received an email from Sophie, not her real name, and it goes like this. This has sat deeply in the back of my blunder memory bank for some time now. I didn't. I thought there was only one kind of memory bank. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. It's sat there for some time now and I feel this podcast is the perfect way to release it. This is what we are here for, Sophie. One evening, whilst trying to be somewhat sexy after a few too many vinos, 
Mm-hmm. I decided to send my boyfriend at the time a pic of my boobs. So much to say, but I'm going to carry on. Checking it over to make sure it was a great shot, I hit send and went to bed feeling very smug. Fast forward to 7am. I wake feeling slightly groggy, look at my phone to check the time and notice a whole load of messages from people including my mum, my work colleagues, parents from my child's school and more. Sophie, was this for me? One said. Great jugs, but don't think this was meant for my eyes. And so on. Yes, you guessed it. I had somehow WhatsApped it to my entire phone book. Horrific. Oh, God. Do you know what? I'm just thinking of all the people that are in my phone book. Like, what about the guy who did monitors on that tour I worked on seven years ago, who's probably about 69 now? I mean... What? Or like the deputy head at one of the schools I used to work at. Do you know what? If this is a sign for anything this morning, ladies, and you've got some time. Ladies? What? Where did that come from? Guys, people, adults, listeners. Hey, listeners. Bit Alan Partridge, but we'll go with it. I think it might be time to do a serious cull on my contacts list. I don't know about you, but the people that I have in there are people that I can read that name and I don't even remember who they are. So I'm going to cull that because I do not want to be sending pictures of my boobs to them. I'm not sending pictures of my boobs to anybody, but especially not them. Anyway, I shall carry on. She says, holy shit, I have never been more humiliated in my life. I was so embarrassed that I called in sick to work. (laughs) As it had also gone to my boss who had a wife and four children. No, 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 no. Oh, no. Oh, God, my sphincter just clenched and crawled back up into my mouth. (gasps) Oh, Sophie, not your real name. I get it. Okay. May I add, I'm actually now over one year sober. Yeah! I drank for many years still after this, but this particular drunken memory stands out to me in many ways. I like to hope I'm not the only one. I guarantee, hands down, you are not the only one. Congratulations on one year of sobriety. I also did some pretty shocking things while I was still drinking that didn't make me stop either. So you're not the only one there as well. Listen, I live in actual fear of doing something like this, and I don't know how old you are, but I'm going to assume, Sophie, not your real name, that you're younger than me. Because I think I'm too old for the whole naked sexy photo thing. When I was dating people back in the day, which let's face it, is the only time you're going to be sending naked pictures to somebody. Because by the time you're married, your texts basically consist of, don't forget you're picking up little Johnny tonight from football. Translation, can you please just do this one thing without fucking it up and causing me more mental stress? You know what I'm talking about. And also other texts are things like, can you please put the bins out? Translation, how many fucking times do I have to ask you to do the bins? Also, on that note, and then I'll get back to Sophie, I've realised that where I choose to put the please in a sentence is very indicative of my mood and how I'm feeling about the whole situation. So when the please goes at the end, I'm like genuinely being polite, right? Can you put the bends out, please? Polite. But when it goes in the middle, you better know I'm pissed off and I'm not asking nicely. Can you please put the bins out? Please here is not polite. Please here means I fucking dare you not to take out the bins. Am I wrong? Anyway, I digress. Back to sexy texting. It's not something I ever did because when I was dating, there was no such thing as picture messages. So we may have exchanged the odd sexy written text, but to be honest, they call it a sex, don't they? Not a sexy written text. What? You see, this is just how out of the digital sex loop I am. But when you're trying to do a sext on a Nokia and you've got to press number one three times for C and then number eight 
twice for a U and then the six button twice for an N. You can see where I'm going there. You've you've lost the will to tell him that your hunt's hot and throbbing, right? So it wasn't a thing, but still, I've done that thing where you're writing a bitchy text venting about someone. We all do it. I don't care how nice you think you are. I am very nice and very kind and I still sometimes need to vent via WhatsApp. But you've written that text and then you've sent it to them. Your brain's done you dirty and it's like, mwah. <laughs> you've written it about them so I'm going to make you send it to them there's no coming back from that the only thing you can do is hold your hands up and be you can just I'm a dick that's it that's all you can do so dodgy text that's one I'm sure you've all done it if that's inspired any memories of awful texting moments then uh, please feel free to send them in to you're never the only one y-o-u-r-e at gmail.com we're going to do one more because this one really made me think of a time I had done something similar it's from Summer, and uh, yeah, that is her real name. She did not ask me to change that. And this is about those times when we issue threats that we haven't actually thought through and end up shooting ourselves in the foot. So she writes, Some years ago, my son was eating rich tea biscuits just as I was dishing up the dinner. I asked him not to eat anymore as dinner was about to be served, but he insisted that he was hungry and couldn't possibly wait the four seconds that I was asking him to. I said that if he ate any more biscuits, I would throw them on the floor. Obviously... He ate another biscuit. Well, I had to follow through. There's no empty threats in this house. Oh God, our house is full of them. I threw them on the floor. However, it was such a skilled throw that the packet of biscuits landed upright on the floor without spilling any. He shrugged his shoulders. Oh my God, I think I might have wanted to punch him in the face. So I went one further by chipping all of said biscuits out of the packet and onto the floor. I love this because I know exactly what frame of mind you're in right now and every mother will know exactly what frame of mind you're in right now, which is, fuck you fuck everybody fuck this shit and that's not dramatic enough she says so then i proceeded to walk up and down on the biscuits to make sure i couldn't have any more <laughs> oh we ate dinner that evening in silence when we'd finished our meal the children left the kitchen while i was on my hands and knees cleaning up tiny biscuit crumbs i had to question why i thought it was a good idea do you know what I, I'm telling you, I'm really guilty of the empty threat because I'm that idiot that goes, right, if you do that, then there's no more screens or TVs. And obviously, it's way more of a punishment for me because A, any chance I had of getting anything done has just completely disappeared before my very eyes. Poof, gone. And B, the only other option in terms of activities for kids that don't have a screen in front of them is total fucking destruction of your house and garden. It's not worth it. But there was this one time that I had left my iPad on the coffee table in front of the sofa and the kids were jumping around all over the furniture and I came in to find them just walking across my iPad, you know, because nobody gives a shit. And of course, they'd cracked the screen. So I was mad and I launched into the you don't respect anything talk followed by the money doesn't grow on trees chat, which I then backed up with the Mummy and daddy work really hard to afford nice things discussion. And then I thought I ended strongly with the, how would you like it if I smashed your tablet lecture? And as I'm saying that, I noticed that their tablet happened to be there within reach. And because I was on a roll, you know, and I thought I could do a visual representation. So, you know, I picked up their tablet and I dropped it thinking it would land on the rug. It almost did. And I stood on it thinking the whole time, well, it's got one of those indestructible rubber cases on that tell you that you can drop it from the top of the shard onto a bed of mechanized sledgehammers and it'll protect the tablet. 
it didn't protect the tablet at all. And when I picked it up, the screen was smashed into a million pieces. And when I say that all hell broke loose, that only touches the surface of the emotions that exploded in my face. Even my husband looked at me with disgust, like it wasn't my proudest moment. On the plus side, I really feel like I got my point across. There was no room for misunderstanding. And here's the other thing. I was phenomenally lucky because their tablets came with this two-year guarantee, no questions asked replacement if it's broken or smashed. And it was two days within that guarantee. So I got it replaced. Of course, that wasn't the only thing I had to repair. I obviously apologized to the kids and explained that mummy handled that badly. And while I didn't think I was actually going to break it, I shouldn't have behaved like that. And I was really sorry. Credit to them though. They don't go anywhere near my fucking iPad anymore. That'll learn them. Okay, it's time to talk radical honesty. Now, I mentioned earlier that I've read this incredible book called Dopamine, Finding Balance in the Age of Indulgence. I'm an addict, so this book appealed to me because the author, Dr. Anna Lemke, is an addiction specialist. And when I say specialist, she's like the guru of addiction. She's the medical director of Stanford Addiction Medicine. She's a program director for the Stanford Addiction Medicine Fellowship, and she's chief of the Stanford Addiction Medicine Dual Diagnosis Clinic. She knows her shit when she's talking about addiction. But one of the most mind-blowing chapters in the book was when she discusses radical honesty. Now, just to be clear, radical honesty isn't the same as being a dick. You know when people say something really offensive and then shrug their smug shoulders and round it off with, I'm just being honest, or those people who say, I don't mean to be offensive, but and then proceed to be really fucking offensive. Home truth incoming. If you are one of those people that says things like that, you're being a dick. See, also, I just call it how I see it. And my personal favourite, I'm just saying what everyone else is thinking. Yes, Janet. And we're thinking it with our inside voices because we know that saying it out loud would make us into a dick. Anyway, let's get back to Dr. Anna Lemke. She talks about it, radical honesty, and she says it's essential in her view for successful recovery. And When I think about Alcoholics Anonymous and the steps and working through all of that, it's honesty is a basic fundamental tenet of all of that. So I'm on step four going into five. You have to share your deepest, darkest, fuck ups, defects, flaws, own them all in front of your what they call your higher power, which might be God. It might be your dead granny's ghost. It might be your dog. It might be the universe. For me, it's the universe. And one other person, which is usually your sponsor. So yeah, you have to like literally say all the terrible things you've done out loud to your sponsor. And then I have to be really rigorously honest about my part in all of those things. Then I have to go back and make amends. So I have to say sorry in real life to all the people that I fucked over. And it's that saying it out loud, being honest about all of that stuff for the first time that is really transformational. Anyway, if you are sitting there saying, well, I'm always honest, I don't tell lies then liar, liar, pants on fire because Anna Lemke says that the average adult tells between 0.59 and 1.56 lies daily. Every adult, not just addicts, every single one of us. We may not even know we're doing it, but everybody lies even a little bit. And she also suggests that our lying habit, she calls it habit, can be formed in early life and often as a way to protect ourselves or other people around us. In other words, people who lie don't necessarily do it for nefarious reasons, but because it's a habit and often one that comes from low self-esteem or insecurity or fear, all of those things. This is what she writes. She's going to say it better than I've been saying it. 
that's for sure. The lying habit is remarkably easy to fall into. We all engage in regular lying most of the time without realizing it. Our lies are so small and imperceptible that we convince ourselves we're telling the truth or that it doesn't matter, even if we know we're lying. Radical honesty, telling the truth about things large and small, especially when doing so exposes our foibles and entails consequences, is essential not just to recovery from addiction, but for all of us trying to live a more balanced life in our reward-saturated ecosystem. It works on many levels. First, radical honesty promotes awareness of our actions. Second, it fosters intimate human connections. Third, it leads to a truthful autobiography, which holds us accountable not just to our present, but also to our future selves. Further, and this is the bit that is so true, telling the truth is contagious and might even prevent the development of future addiction. I just want to say this, I'm interjecting, but when I was in active addiction, in fact, as a kid, it started, I would throw anybody under the bus to avoid taking responsibility for a mistake I'd made. And it wasn't because I wanted to, th I wanted to screw somebody else over. It was because there was such a deep-seated fear in me of not being perfect, of not getting it right, of being judged, of everybody saying, you're a terrible human, that I desperately would scrabble to make it not my fault. The instinct to do that every time is still there, but now I'm very much like, uh-uh, no, I'm gonna own this, this is my fault, move on. She says, recounting our experience gives us mastery over them. Yes, preach it. Whether in the context of psychotherapy, talking to an AA sponsor, confessing to a priest, confiding in a friend or writing in a journal, our honest disclosure brings our behavior into relief, allowing us in some cases to see it properly for the first time. This is especially true for behaviors that involve a level of automaticity. Telling the truth draws people in. This is Anna, not me. You can probably tell especially when we're willing to expose our own vulnerabilities. This is counterintuitive because we assume that unmasking the less desirable aspects of ourselves will drive people away. It logically makes sense that people would distance themselves when they learn about our character flaws and transgressions. In fact, and this is the bit I want everybody to hold on to, the opposite happens. People come closer. They see in our brokenness their own vulnerability and humanity. They are reassured that they are not alone in their doubts, fears, and weaknesses. You might say, and this is me again, not Dr. Anna Lemke, that it reminds us that we're never the only one. Do you see what I did there? And it's this idea that in sharing our fuck-ups, we can come together and bond and feel connected because we can drop the pretense and we can feel safe to be vulnerable and say, I'm not nailing this because we can see that somebody else is. But sometimes you have to be the first one to do that. And that is not easy. When I was growing up, there wasn't much honesty modeled to me. And it wasn't that people, parents, friends, etc., lied to me as much as so much wasn't said. Topics were evaded. Very little was talked about openly. And I don't think either of my parents ever apologized to me for anything. Now, it's not because they're bad people. They're just products of their own upbringing and how they were with me was probably leagues ahead of how their parents were with them in terms of affection, care, love, respect. You know, as an addict, it's incumbent on me to be rigorously honest about everything. That doesn't mean I don't lie occasionally or stretch the truth or embellish, but it does mean that I have to be aware of it and I have to put it right. So step 10, it says, we continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. So it basically means that at the end of every single day, I will look back through the day and identify any resentments that I picked up. So anything that pissed me off, that made me angry, that triggered me, and I'll work through them until I understand my part in it. And that's the only thing I have to take away from it. 
if I'm wrong and I've messed up, I have to admit it and go and say sorry. Those resentments can be anything from like snapping at the guy in the post office to having a full-blown row with Jimmy. And as an addict in recovery, I will sit down each evening, work through that, write it down, figure out why it triggered me, work out what my part in it was and decide whether I need to say sorry. So real life example, I actually did get stroppy with the guy in the post office because I wanted to send a parcel to Jimmy for his birthday and they told me they couldn't get it there in time. I was curt and rude, probably a bit sarcastic. I'm not proud of that. And that night I had to go over it. So I wrote down what my resentment was and I wrote, the guy at the post office was really unhelpful and rude. And I wrote, this affected my personal relationship with Jimmy because he wasn't going to get his birthday presents. It affected my self-esteem and pride because I felt like a rubbish wife for not being able to make his day special. And then I had to figure out my part in it, which was I lost my temper and patience because I was tired and I was mad at myself for not organizing this earlier. And that is all that matters in that situation. The next morning, I went back to the post office. I did have to go back to post something else. And that guy wasn't serving me, but I stopped briefly while I was leaving from the other counter. And I said... I'm really sorry for losing my temper yesterday. I know that you did all that you could. Now, he was really grateful and he said, it's fine, don't worry. Now, I could have told him that his rudeness and dismissiveness didn't help, but that's actually not anything to do with me. That's his personal inventory and not my business. My only concern is keeping my side of the street clean because through that honesty, I stay sober. It's weird to say, but being an addict in recovery makes me a better parent because I can apologize to my kids I do say I'm sorry I do say when I'm struggling not in a way that makes them feel like they have to look after me or that they're responsible for me but in a way that makes them realize that perfection doesn't exist I don't expect perfection from them and if I'm honest I hope that it just like she says it's contagious and it encourages them to be honest and being honest is owning your shit and my kids are nine times out of ten absolutely terrible at that but occasionally show real moments of gorgeousness and I think to myself do you know what there's a lot of things that I fucked up but that that there that is that's gold and I did that if you want to buy Dr Anna Lemke's book and I would highly highly recommend that you do I'm going to link it in the show notes uh, along with the episode of Armchair Expert with Dax Shepard and Monica Padman where she's interviewed because it's fascinating she interviews brilliantly and you should definitely definitely listen to it now with that done let's move on to my fun times and fuck ups This week's been a week. I'm I'm going to be honest. There, there's more than enough fuck ups to choose from. I locked myself out the house twice. Once with the kids and the dog. We're late for school. It was a thing. The music teacher had to give me a coat hanger to try and break in. Everybody thought it was hilarious because I was wearing a black and white striped top and I looked like a burglar. Bo was supposed to go into school with a baby photo of herself, and I got this in the newsletter the week before. I actually put it in my diary. I put an alarm on it. Send Bo to school with a photo of herself as a baby. Obviously, I forgot, devastated, said to the teacher, when are you doing it? She says, we're doing it in the afternoon. I said, perfect, I'll drop it in. Of course, I didn't forgot again to drop it in. Picked her up and she said, I was the only one without a photo. My heart broke. I actually cried down the phone to Jimmy. I was tired, I was a bit hormonal, but still really felt like I dropped the parenting ball on that one. A couple of days later, I'm talking to another school mum whose daughter is in the same class. And I was like, God, I felt awful about that. She's like, why? She wasn't the only one. I was like, yes, she was. She was like, no, she wasn't. My daughter was on the table and said she was the only one with a photo. Well played, Bojangles. <laughs> Bo one, mummy nil. There was loads and loads I was going to talk about. But as of yesterday, I really feel like if you've been following me on Instagram, there's only one fuck up that I can really talk about. If you haven't already, head to my Instagram where you'll see the reel that I created of my most embarrassing moment. When it happened, 
I went through in my head all the possible outcomes. So I was like, well, somebody's got that on CCTV. Inevitably, somebody will have accidentally filmed that while they're, you know, trying to film their cute daughter saying, goo goo ga ga, give me a banana for the first time. And I need to get out in front of this. I need to get out in front of this. If you haven't seen it, it's me going arse over tit with a trolley in the supermarket. Go and check it out now. What you don't see in that video is the very well put together gorgeous woman who's clearly one of us, she's clearly hoofed a few children out of her love tunnel, standing behind me in glorious athleisure wear. You know, the kind of athleisure wear that people wear to go first class on a plane, that kind of thing. Kashmir. She's laughing so hard, she's had to cross her legs. And we all know why. Her pelvic floor cannot cope with my levels of idiocy. Also, it didn't help that at that point, as I'm like walking back, some guy goes, is that your phone? He's not Northern, but for the purposes of this, he is. And I was like, yeah. So now everybody who has seen me fall now knows that I was also filming myself falling. And I'm like, do I tell them that I'm an insta-wanker who's making content for Asda? That doesn't feel great, I'm going to be honest, because it doesn't look like I'm very good at my job. Or do I just sort of pretend I was meant to do it? Like it was it was some sort of prank and I was, this is what was supposed to happen all day long. I could pretend I was creating some content for You've Been Framed. I mean, that's 250 quid these days. 250 quid. I could use that kind of money. I am going to get the address for You've Been Framed. See you on the flip side. <laughs> Okay, now, on to the Agony Aunt section. You may remember that last week's Agony Aunt section was the more serious part of this particular podcast. This week, the reading was the more serious part of this podcast, and the Agony Aunt is not the serious part. However, just because it's not serious doesn't mean it's not incredibly important. This is from... Just checking if... She, oh, yeah, she did. She gave me her name and age and where she lives. Helen, age 44, in Leeds. Here we go. This is a question I have asked before. It's a question that lots of people want to know the answer to and I have yet to figure it out. So I really need your help. We're crowdsourcing the answer to this problem. She says, what the fuck do I do about buttons on a bodysuit thing? She says, you asked it a while ago on stories. I did. I also put it on TikTok. It went viral. I don't know if you followed it up. I didn't. We're going to try again. We're going to try and get an answer on this. Helen, I'm just going to take over for a little bit. First things first, why are all bodies thongs? That's my first question. Secondly, if you want to wear one of these bodies, are we supposed to wear underwear with them or not? Because if, like me, you wear a proper knicker, one that covers the entirety of your ass cheeks, and then you put a thong body over it, that's not comfortable. I don't want to wear a thong, but I do want to wear a body. I like the way they sit into my trousers. I don't have to worry about them sliding out and all the rest of it. So are they expecting me to double thong? If I don't want to wear one thong, I'm probably not going to want to wear two. That's uncomfortable. So then are we not wearing knickers with a bodysuit? Just letting those press studs settle themselves into our vulvas. Again, that doesn't feel right either. That literally doesn't sit comfortably with me. If anybody knows of any bodies that aren't thongs, please hit me up. If anybody knows the underwear etiquette surrounding a bodysuit, 
please hit me up and send us all your ideas and answers to you're never the only one y-o-u-r-e at gmail.com well that just about sums us up for this week i really hope that you enjoyed this episode if you have any fun times and fuck ups that you'd like to share any it could only happen to me moments or indeed any agony aunt questions that you would like answering remember they can be serious or not serious fun or deep and meaningful we will tackle it all i hope that you feel on this monday morning that you are never the only one and ready to get on with your day and smash the shit out of your week or even not smash it just get through it that's actually what i'll be doing and if you do survive it then i will see you here next week bye bye you're never the only one is written and presented by me kat sims author of the first time you smiled or was it just wind and creator of not so smug now an online platform for those of us who are waking up every day and just trying to do the best they can follow me and get all your podcast info by heading to at not so smug now on instagram and tiktok you're never the only one is produced and edited by lucy lucroft and executive producers are bonnie barry and parami kodakara our original music is written and performed by hot salad yeah i really fancy the bass player please check them out wherever you stream your music and on instagram at your mum likes hot salad the things i say and do i'm always what i mean i'm neither saint or sinner i'm somewhere in between this world is complicated Everything moves so quick And lying to yourself If you think that you got it lit Everybody knows You're never the only one You're never the only one Don't live inside your shame Cause everybody makes mistakes me on my floor Cause no one's really perfect by the grace of God go us Everybody loves You're never the only one You're never the only one Don't live inside the shame Cause everybody makes mistakes Let's